So there's a place in California called Muscle Beach. Not a place where you would expect an 84-year-old man to wander in. And yet that's exactly what happened in 2016. You know, Muscle Beach, you've seen the pictures, the uh, fenced-in area where guys go lift weights and they show how big their muscles are and people stand around and watch to, to watch these guys and their feats of strength and to see their muscles. Ken Leverich decided that he was going to show up at Muscle Beach. The challenge was Ken in 2016 was 29 years old, a world-class athlete, a junior Olympic uh, weightlifting uh, champion, and a CrossFit challenger in Southern California, but they disguised him as an 84-year-old man. Four hours of makeup, wrinkles on the face, receding hairline, glasses, He shows up in a pair of white sneakers, a pair of khaki pants, a white shirt, and a blue cardigan. And he kind of walks in, you know, like an 84-year-old man and and then begins to to ask him. He says, hey, what kind of supplements do you use? And the guy says, man, I love my protein. He says, oh, I like prune juice. You know what I mean? So so the whole thing, and, and you can see the cameras all are, are coming out as they're filming this, and he starts to take huge amounts of weight and puts it over his head and, and begins to, to jerk uh, hundreds of, of pounds. And even one guy says, hey, you mind if I step in? And, and so he says, well, how about if we have a little challenge? And so he's got this young buck and no shirt and a pair of shorts on. And uh, anyway, so he outlifts him, and someone comes up to him and says, how old are you? He said, I'm 84 years old, you know. And he said, well, how, 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 do you, how do you stay like this? He said, you, you just keep staying here. Keep working at it. Get stronger every day. And then he leaves. You know, that's been viewed over 60 million times on YouTube. You can go home and don't do that now. Act like you got your Bible on your phone or your, your app. And... Uh, Anyway, but 60 million times plus, it's been viewed on YouTube. Ken Leverich, Lever and then ICH, Ken Leverich. And uh, people have, have just been amazed at, at how well they did his makeup and how well uh, everything went on this, on this video. But one thing he said at the end, get stronger every day. If there was a word from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, it would be work out, get stronger every day. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to talk about the light of the gospel, but before, listen, before God can do a work on the outside as we shine as lights, God has to do something on the inside. Philippians chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse number 12. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will, or both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
He says, work out your salvation. And remember, we put the the verse numbers in there. Work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word. And uh, Father, uh, some of us just need a, a fresh challenge and motivation to work out. And so would you give that to us today? Uh, Lord, may we not grow weary in well-doing. God, would you just give us a fresh word and a fresh charge today? In the name of Jesus, amen. We're dealing with one of the more complicated verses in Scripture to understand, but to go back and see it, you you have to look and totally uh, understand and, and seek to know how Paul is talking to the church at Philippi. Work out your salvation seems like a pretty challenging statement. Work out your own salvation. We remember that Paul is writing from a house arrest in Rome as he writes to the church at Philippi. He is writing to believers. He addresses that he is writing to the saints and the deacons and the bishops or the church leaders and the church members he's writing to. He is writing to a church. He's writing to believers. And then he throws out this challenge to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice how verse number 12 starts with the word, therefore. Therefore, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. The word therefore links us back to what we looked at last week as we saw the example of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2, specifically verses 5 through 11. Jesus humbled himself and was obedient unto the Father, even dying on the cross, and God gave him a name that's above every name. So Jesus, through his humility and obedience, is the one who sets the example for us as we move forward in our life. He says, therefore, you are to stay fired up in that same humility and obedience that Jesus was in, not only when I'm around, but also when I'm not there. Like now, he's not in Philippi, he's in Rome writing to them. And he says, then work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Many people misinterpret this to mean that we're to work toward our salvation, or we're to work for our salvation, or we're to work at our salvation. Like, if you ask the common person on the street today, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? The answer By and far, the most I've ever received is this. I try to be a good person. I'm a loving dad. I'm a good wife. I'm a good parent. You know, I try to take care of others. I I help others when I see a need. It's all based on works, what I can do, what what I can achieve. And, And so it's the picture of the old scales, you know, the old scales where you'd put something on. And if my good would outweigh my bad, then I would get to heaven. That's how many believe. And yet Paul absolutely refutes that in every way, shape, and form through all of his writings. But specifically, as Paul is recorded in Acts chapter 16, talking to someone in Philippi. 
a jailer in Philippi, who asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul didn't say, man, you got to work at it. He didn't say, man, if your good outweighs your bad. He, he didn't say, he didn't say, you know, if you'll just show up at church or give money or you'll teach or sing or, or do something for others. He did not say that. And in Acts 16.31, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's not about what I bring to the table. It's about what Jesus already did and now believing that. So what does it mean then when Paul tells them in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12, to work out their salvation? Well, that's what we're here today to talk about. that's, That's what we see in Scripture. So as we look at this picture, again, you pick up in verse number 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, Paul loves these folks. He tells them to work out your salvation, work out your salvation. Now, remember that the verses are numbered uh, arbitrarily to help us to find quick references. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So in working out our salvation, we understand this. Before we can work out, God has to work in. So God works in. At the moment of salvation, when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. Promised in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, we see Jesus saying, look, there's going to come one who's going to live in you. It is going to be Jesus in the life of the believer through the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes into our life at the moment of salvation, God works in our heart and life so that it says this, Philippians 2, 13, for it is God who works in you. God gives us the desire to do his will. God works in us first to bring about the right desire. You would have never come to Jesus on your own. You would never come to Christ on your own. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 says that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. On our own, we are self-centered, We are selfish and we are self-focused. And so we're living our life, doing our thing. Well, then how come people come to Christ? It's the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin. He convicts us. He begins to speak to us about the person of Christ. It is God who begins by working in the desire to do his will. And after we come to Christ, as the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we begin to get this want to. I want to do what God wants me to. The Holy Spirit's leading me to do what God wants me to do. Then he says this, Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you both to will, that's the desire, and to do. God not only gives us the desire to do his will, but then he gives us the power to do his will. It's God who works in you both to will and to do. God gives us the very power that we need to succeed in following his will. Now you say, well, man, God God called me to do this and I know I can't do it. That's right. Because he doesn't want you to do it because you're able. Your strength, your power. God does not call you because you're equipped God equips you when you follow the call. 
God speaks and moves and gives you the power that you need to say yes to him along the way. But let me tell you, there's a lot of times when we have to start taking those steps. We have to say yes to the call and then God shows up and provides the power. Don't, don't you find it amazing that God waited to open the Red Sea for Moses until the moment that they got there and the people were standing there? He could have opened it up three miles earlier. When, when they were walking back, they would have never missed stride. Why did God do that? Because he wanted the children of Israel to know it was his power, his ingenuity, his strength, and his sovereignty that brought them to that place, not theirs. So God will equip us and provide all that we need pertaining to life and godliness as we say, yes. Some people say, well, I never experienced the power of God, the spirit of God in my life. Well, have you said yes to him in some areas that you had to step out in faith? When was the last time you stepped out in faith? In obedience, in giving, in speaking, in sharing Christ with someone else. God gives us the power to do his will. He gives us that want to. Then he gives us the power. Then notice, God gives us both the, 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 the desire, the will, and the power to do his will. Now notice what it says, according to his good pleasure. According to his good pleasure, the end of verse number 13. Now, this is amazing. God gives us through the Holy Spirit the ability to bring him pleasure. When was the last time you looked out over uh, a beautiful sunrise? This morning was, was pretty. Nice to see sun. Nice to see the sun come up. Or an awesome sunset. When was the last time you saw an eagle fly? When was the last time you saw some deer running across the grassy meadow? When was the Last time you saw the ocean or the mountains? When was the last time you looked up at the stars with a sense of awe? Can I tell you, God sees those things every day. Every day, he sees it. All the grandeur that we go on vacation to see and we get a glimpse of here and there, God sees all of it every day. And even with all of the grandeur of the billions of stars, the grandeur of the mountains, the sunrise, the sunset, the animals, the fish in the sea. God says, when you listen to me and follow my will, it brings me pleasure. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he says that we can bring him pleasure. That is awesome and amazing. That the self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal God could look down on us and we could do anything that would bring him a sense of pleasure. Awesome! Amazing! And when we get that inner desire to say, man, God's leading me and calling me and, 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 and pushing me to step out. And, and now he's not only given me that will, but he's given me the ability to do that. And now I do it. And God looks down. And he's pleased. Now, now understand this. God's love for you never changes. God's love for you never changes. If you know him as your savior, his love is absolutely eternal, unconditional. It will never, ever change. 
But in addition to all the love that he has for him, for, for us, we have the opportunity in this life, in the here and now, to bring him pleasure. That's what he says, not me. It brings God pleasure. I, I admit, as I watch my kids up here, I get to see them involved in worship. I see them hanging around the house. I love to see that. That brings me pleasure. But I'm just a limited dude in St. Charles, one of seven billion people in the world. But the Almighty God says, you have a key in your life through listening to my spirit, obeying my voice to bring me pleasure. Did you bring God any pleasure this last week? His love didn't change. But did you bring him pleasure? God works in. He's working in. Then we come to that next step. God works in, then we as believers have to work out. We work out. So the things that God begins to work in our life, then we have to begin to work out. That's what he says. Now, and you have to understand what, what he is saying here. To work out means to maintain constant energy and effort to the finish. Maintaining energy and effort to the end, to the finish, to that moment I step into heaven. It's not that I'm working for my salvation. It's that that God is working in my life. And so now I want to be taking what God, God's doing on the inside and begin to work out. I, I, I need to, to be doing some things to move forward in my walk and in my life with the Lord. He says to work out our salvation. Our response is that we're to work. We're to work. We work out our salvation. We remain constant in our effort, in our energy to the completion of our salvation. Until that moment when the Lord calls us home. Did you know that in the United States, there's over 39,000 gyms and health clubs? 39,000. Did you know that consumers, they're estimating in 2019, about 71.5 million people went to a gym sometime in 2019. But there's one other statistic, and that's this. That of the people who sign up to get a gym membership, after six months, 50% of them are gone. It's kind of the story I wrote in the bulletin article today, you know. Last time I worked out, I spent 30 minutes on the treadmill, 10 minutes on the defibrillator, and three days in the hospital. You know, it's kind of, kind of, kind of that thought that goes with it. But, but the, the picture here is, is we're to, Work out our salvation. We work so that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I spend time and I get into God's word. I'm working out because I want to get to know 
the beauty and splendor and the greatness of the Lord who has saved me. I want to experience the depths of salvation and dive into the deep end in my walk with the Lord so that I work out, I remain with this constant energy and effort to know him more and to know how he works in my life even better. You know what I'm afraid of? For many people, this is what happens. I trust Jesus as my Savior, I receive salvation, and then instead of working out, I sit out. I sit out. I let someone else feed me in a Bible study or in a worship service. I let musicians kind of lead me to a place of where I can sing. But for the most part, it's just all about me sitting and God, do a work in me, show yourself to me, comfort me, make me have a life of peace, but there's no working out. There's no energy and effort that we put into it so that God is working in us so that we'll work it out, that we'll get in, dig in. Let's kind of, as, as we think about that, we can, we can have a couple of of illustrations on comes to our response of work. If I gave you the deed to a gold mine, I mean, signed it over, if I owned one. If I owned a gold mine and I signed over the deed to a gold mine to you, do you think that gold's just going to come out and you're going to be able to sit? No. You're going to have to go in there and you're going to have to dig it out. You own the gold mine. It's been given to you. It's free. It's a gift. The gift of salvation is free. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's been given to you. But there is a mine of spiritual gold for us to dig out in the process. If I wrote a piece of music... David arranges music and does a fantastic job. Some of the things that that are even done here, he arranges them specifically. But if I would write and compose a piece of music and give it to you, you'd think, well, great. Then you take your instrument and you begin to play it and you begin to work it out. There, the beauty of the composition and the beauty of the medley, a melody comes out. With our salvation, it's a free gift. But God wants us to go in and mine it. Dig out the gold. God wants us to work it out. To learn our part. And to get busy doing the things that God has for us to do. Our response is, is that we Work. Now notice what he says, that we are to work out our salvation. Notice the end of verse number 12, with fear and trembling. We not only see our response, but then we see our attitude. Our attitude is the sense of fear and trembling. There's this sense of awe and respect. Hey, we've all been in this long enough that we know people who said that they were followers of Christ, but somewhere along the line, they derailed. They're not in church today. They're not in anybody's church today. 
They really don't act that interested in spiritual things at all. We all know people like that. There were people that were in this church 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, friends that you had in church years ago that you walked with, that you served with, and somewhere along the line, their attitude changed. Their heart and their attitude changed toward God. They lost the awe and respect and the sense of awesomeness of who he is and all that he's done. And when they lose that, then they lose everything that goes with it. Their problem is not the church. I mean, you can get hurt in church. Matter of fact, if you stay in church long enough, you're going to get hurt. Can I just tell you that? Okay? This is not a perfect church. Someone's probably going to hurt your feelings if you're a member of this church long enough. Okay? It's going to happen. But you have a choice to make when that happens. Am I going to quit God? Am I going to give up? Am I going to lose my awe and respect and the gratitude and the satisfaction that only he can bring so that I can chase money or chase pleasure or nurse my bitterness or say, hey, I'm completely justified in all of this? Listen, we can allow all kinds of things to to drop a fog over us so that we lose the awe and the respect and the sense that the awesome, almighty, eternal God would reach down and know everything about me and send Jesus to save me, the Holy Spirit to convict me, and I would come into his family. When we lose that sense of fear and trembling, this is not an unhealthy oh, I'm scared God's going to zap me kind of. This is a sense of awe and respect of God. When we lose that, we lose everything that goes with it as far as working out our salvation. Can I ask you today, where's your heart with him? When was the last time you counted your blessings? named them one by one and thought about how good God's been to you. The very fact that he would listen to us, the very fact that he would know the numbers of hairs on our head, the very fact he would know everything about us shows and reminds us he is awesome and he deserves our respect. Work out your salvation. Don't quit. Mine it. Dig in with a sense of fear and trembling. Look what God's given me. So amazing. Paul, in verse number 16, would say part of his plan of working out his salvation with this sense of fear and trembling is, man, he's like running this race, and he is laboring so that people will come to know Jesus. Can I tell you, part of working out your salvation is going to be working into the life of others, which brings us to our second thought. We're not only to work out our salvation, but we're to shine forth our salvation. Pick up with me in verse number 14. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Shine forth your salvation. God works it in 
and we begin to demine and, and work out our salvation, we begin to see the beauty of who God is, build out and, and understand the nuggets of salvation and the awesomeness of God and the sovereignty of God. And as I begin to work all of that out, then listen, this is what happens. What's going on on the inside begins to shine on the outside. It begins to shine. When God's working in me, man, it just comes out. That's the picture here. Now, he gives a negative uh, a word first in verse number 14, where he tells them to do everything without complaining and disputing. So first, Paul says, look, let me tell you, as we think about shining forth our salvation, there are some ways to extinguish your light. So the negative command is this, no complaining, no disputing. As you follow God's will for your life and you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, sometimes God's going to lead you on a path that's challenging and difficult. Don't complain and don't dispute with him about it. God's gracious. He's given you Jesus. Sometimes he's going to have you walk through valleys. Absolutely. Sometimes you're going to walk through challenging paths. Absolutely. But we remember the words of David in Psalm 23, that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because he's with us. But sometimes, listen, it's only in the valley of the shadow of death when we understand the desperation that we need for him and we look to him alone. When everything is, you know, puppies and rubber balls and daisies, man, we can skip through life on our own and we can do it in our own strength. But sometimes God allows trials and tribulations and difficulties and heartaches and sicknesses to come into our life so that... Our focus gets turned to him. Don't you find it amazing? Sometimes you have a test and everything's going well. And you think, man, I'm fine. And the doctor says, yeah, something's a little funny on this test. And so then you're thinking, oh, man, you know, what's the matter with me? And then you take another test a couple months later and everything's fine. Why, why do things like that happen? I, I believe that there are times that things just come back a little wonky. Because God wants to get our attention. And there are times when we walk through difficulty because we live in a sinful and fallen world. And God calls us to do everything without complaining and disputing. Do you want to hurt your testimony? Complain. Tell everybody you're a Christian, you love Jesus, and you hate everything going on in your life. That's a way to destroy. Then he gives the positive command. The positive command is that you are to shine. That you are to shine. As we think about the positive, we're to shine. Notice what he says at the end of verse number 15. That we're to shine like, like luminaries, like stars. We're to shine for the Lord. We're to shine through our attitude and through our joy and through our peace and through our love. We're to shine through our character and through our words. We're to shine. We're not only to shine, but we're to rejoice. Notice with me the words rejoice, how they're used. Verse 15, he says we're to shine as lights, as luminaries, as stars in the sky. But notice verse 16. Verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. All use the word joy or rejoice. 
holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I've not ran in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and I, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you. Rejoice. Paul rejoices. He rejoices with them for the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul says, look, man, I am in a prison. Life's hard, but I'm rejoicing. And you're rejoicing with me. And now I'm calling you to rejoice. And in Philippians 4, 4, he's going to turn around and say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Your greatest testimony might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death with a heart of joy. Now, that's not happiness and I have to clap and, and put on a fake smile. But there's just a sense of inner confidence and joy because of who Jesus is. Do you want to shine forth? Live life with purpose? Don't complain. Rejoice. Do you want to live a life that shines forth and shows great purpose? You take the awesome gift of salvation that God's given you and you begin to dig in it and work out the truth. See the marvel and the beauty and the grandeur of who Jesus is. But you know, as we try to shine forth and we're working out, sometimes we get tired and sometimes we get discouraged along the way. And sometimes we need someone to come alongside. And so as we look at this passage, Paul gives the picture, hey, we're to work out our salvation, we're to shine forth in our salvation, but then we're to build up, build up. Our salvation. Notice, in verse number 19 and following, he mentions Timothy, and then he mentions Epaphroditus. But before we talk about Timothy for just a moment and Epaphroditus for just a moment, let's think about Paul as he's writing this church. He's saying, look, you need to work out. You need to work out. You need to shine forth. You need to shine forth. So Paul comes alongside and says, look, if you're going to build up or fuel up your salvation then you need to join with me in a sense of mutual partnership. I'm going to be an encouragement to you. You're going to be an encouragement to me. There's a mutual partnership in this. Hey, man, we're going to, we're going to be in this battle together. I, I want you to know you're not on your own. There's a mutual sense. We're partners in this. I'm going to encourage you. You're going to encourage me. Then we find in verse number 19, he mentions Timothy. As he mentions Timothy, he talks about the mutual encouragement. Notice verse number 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. He says that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Timothy came alongside for mutual encouragement. Paul is sending Timothy to see them. He's going to encourage them. But Paul says, I want to be encouraged when he comes back. Then he sends back Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had gotten sick serving Paul, so sick that he was even clear or close to death. And Paul says, I'm sending him as someone to bring mutual joy. See, the challenge in our life is this. The spiritual life is never meant to be walked alone. Working out by yourself can be challenging if there's no one to hold you accountable or no one to encourage you along the way. Shining forth in a world of darkness, and there's a lot of darkness around us. There's a lot of things that want to extinguish us. So we need some people in our life. I pray that I can be one of those people in your life that'll say, hey, tough week? Man, 
Move on. Shine your light this week. Get in God's word this week. Find some encouragement this week. But there's people all around you. And we're in this together. And we want to make a difference together. So that as Jesus shines, he gets the honor and glory. Don't you find it interesting? As you walk into a gym, I work out at Planet Fitness, and where they have the free weights, you know, it's just a uh, mirrors, a wall of mirrors. So when you're lifting the free weights, doing the curls, you can look at yourself. Here, the picture is, is when we work out and we shine forth, it's all about Him. Last Sunday afternoon, like many of you, if you follow sports, uh, we received the news that Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others went down in a helicopter accident. And if nothing else, uh, the guy was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But if nothing else, we need to be reminded life is short. James reminds us that it's like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And there's something of my legacy that's important. That I want my wife, my kids, my church to know. I've not arrived, not even close. But I'm seeking to work out my salvation and trying to shine the light. I pray that that would be your legacy too. And that there wouldn't be any doubt. Pastor Jerry and I talk sometimes when we do funerals. You know, this person said they made a decision back in the third grade, but they didn't show any signs all the way up. I don't want to leave any doubt. That guy knew Jesus, was working out his salvation, was shining. And along the way, I hope I've built a few people up.